And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined here in the studio by Jonathan Dog McKenzie. Hi, John. Hello. Ah, guten Tag, Herr Stafford Bloor. Wie geht's du? Guten Tag, Herr Devine. Mir geht's gut. Yes, a couple of lovely pearlies there. And speaking of pearlies, <laughs> delighted to be joined by the angelic presence of newsman, Amitai Winehouse. Hi, Amitai. Hi, Joe. How's it going? Yeah, yeah, good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty good. He's a newsman. Yeah? What happens to the news when you're on? It just stops. I Uh, was wondering that. We've got got other news people. Oh, good. Not as as crucial as he led us to believe, (laughs) it sounds like. I do know four or five other news people as well. And you're one of the better ones, but maybe not the best. I'm I'm not going to ask you to rank and rate the news people. That's good, because I can't remember everyone's name. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're joined by Amitai Winehouse, newsman. Amitai, let me ask you a question, uh, because at this point in the podcast, I'd like to promote The Athletic. And normally, we spend time talking on here about the long reads, some of which are very, some of which are too long for a child like me. You know, they're very detailed and good if you're an adult and enjoy reading. But for me, I want to get to the heart of the matter often. And I find that that's what you provide and your team for The Athletic. What is it that you're doing on a daily basis? So we deal with the reporters and the stories they have Mm. that they get from the contacts they speak to. And we just help them turn it into breaking news stories, basically. Yeah. Um, Which is incredibly intense sometimes and incredibly fun and then we also help the uh, the long reads that you choose not to read come together as well yeah i like to uh, watch the news channels sometimes to uh, to see the journalists go say go with the story no wait no no go no wait go <laughs> and uh, enjoy thinking about the news team struggling under all of that weight now let me uh, let me just have a look at what the uh, the most recent news stories on the app are on this bank holiday well, Man United reached an agreement to pay a guaranteed 95 million euros for Anthony. We may come to discuss that a little bit later. What else have we got on here? Oh, Chelsea rethinking the Aubameyang move. I didn't know they were thinking it, but I have been on holiday, so, you know, there's that. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you want to imagine the news desk, it's like someone stood at a machine and shouting, stop the presses, start the presses, stop the presses, over and over again. <laughs> a stressful working environment, you know. A the bit like being face, next to JJ when face. he's it. A cold face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Seb wouldn't know about that. Okay, anyway, that's The Athletic. You can visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO for, I believe, a 30-day free trial. Try it for free. If you don't like Amatai's work, just send him a message about it and then leave. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> he welcomes that. He does. But for now, I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Amatai Winehouse, the newsman. Hmm? <laughs> I like saying newsman. Why are you saying man? I don't know. It's funny. <laughs> Let us begin. Where else would we begin than with Brighton? I mean, there are other places, but Brighton third in the league. Good gracious. Third in the league after a 1-0 victory 
over your sacred leads, Amatai. Did you watch that game? I did watch the game. Yeah, what yeah. did you think about it? So, actually, had, someone asked me this morning, they were like... They're fourth. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, Steve Hankles. Someone uh, this morning said to me, oh, we're, we're bright and good to watch then. Yeah. And I realised that they must be good to watch. People always say they're good to watch, but it's a bit like Radiohead for me, in that people always tell me they're good. But I just can't be bothered to. Um, no, this, this analogy really is not going to wash here. This is you've really come to the wrong place to use Radiohead for a mediocrity analogy. No, 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 no. I don't think Radiohead and me. What, mediocre. Are, you, what are you saying? I'm saying that. Make it I, absolutely I, I, clear I, what you're saying. I'm saying I don't know if I have the energy to care about Brighton. Oh, sure, sure. And, and in the same way as Radiohead, it takes us a sort of sophisticated kind of energy. So <laughs> not everybody has it. Sophisticated so. energy. But yeah, I, I did watch the game. They are very good. Yeah, and uh, Graham Potter is clearly. Really, really good. One of the toppens. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about managers shortly, but on Brighton specifically, John, I know you talked about it last week. I didn't want to see the game. I saw this on Match of the Day, and it struck me that Pascal Gross and Leandro Trossard were, uh, they looked amazing. Yeah, I think the thing about Graham Potter, and this is what I talked about last week on the podcast, is that he is a manager who can deconstruct what an opposition manager is trying to do and cause problems for, for that. People always laugh at me banging on about Marcelo Bielsa, but he had a system where he was able to get the best out of his players because he was able to do various things. And I feel as though Graham Potter is the same kind of manager. So he is able to get players like Leandro Trossard and Pascal Gross, both of whom both of whom I really like. Mm. But I think he just he, he is able to get them into those situations where you can get the best upside out of them and avoid those those situations where you might get their, their downside. And this was again evidence in the Leeds game is that if you looked at the way, so Leeds, Leeds press in a very specific way. Graham Potter had clearly watched the tape, realised that there are certain situations where Leeds, what they what they tend to do in a, in a press is they'll try and force the opposition to one side and they'll have a really aggressive man-for-man press and they'll push their fullback really high up. And what Brighton were doing was they were trying to force these sorts of situations, move the ball across and then target the, the remaining three Leeds defenders in their back line. So the fullbacks pushed up and then there's only three. And so they were going to, trying to go three on three and then get the ball forward quickly, just make the most of those sorts of situations. It's just little things like that where he clearly knows what Leeds are going to be trying to do in different phases of play. Mm-hmm. And and so he targets them and he, he does things that will, will cause some problems in those moments. So just a really smart way of playing football. And obviously, like, he doesn't have the the, the greatest talent base. I think Leeds, Leeds starting 11 was worth... Well, cost a hundred million more or something mm. than the Brighton starting eleven. But actually, if you watch particularly the first half, it didn't look that way. Yeah, he's a manager who gets the most out of his team, and as a tactical nerd, I like that. Yeah, Seb, one a member of the team that uh, that Potter is getting the most out of at the moment is is Danny Welbeck. Now, so Hankles and I were talking about this beforehand. Danny Welbeck, a player who's not immune from injury, as we know, and perhaps that's something that that could could afflict him throughout the course of the season. If it doesn't, though, I mean, is he in with a shout for for the World Cup for England? What do you think? Yeah, it's funny you brought that up because I thought so too, just because he's, I still associate him with kind of being a defensive forward in a way and like an incredibly selfless player. Mm. And if you look at England's options at the moment, I know that you've got a lot of sort of three-dimensional players there, but very few who'd think, right, we've got a leading position, winning position, let's defend it, let's have somebody that's comfortable receiving, you know, passes into the channels, who can kind of play in those sort of areas. I don't know whether this is a kind of a failing of... um, of, of kind of England's production system, but they still haven't really produced another player like that. Um, and it'd be nice, it, what, what a nice way to not end his career because he's not ready to retire and he's still got a good couple of years ahead of him, but what a nice way to kind of, to return to what he was um, in the kind of the psyche of English football because he's played so, so well for Brighton and selflessly as well. Like you talked about Pascal Gross playing very well. I thought Alexis McAllister, Mac Alistair, 
Cyber- do, do, do you do the stop between the two bits? Is that the right way to do it? Or do I we just go with McAllister? McAllister. So he's, he's I'm looking at Argent- a Mac here. He's an Argentinian, right? And his oh. at some point, one of his ancestors was actually Scottish. So sure. I presume it's just McAllister, but for some okay. reason, they've introduced a space. Right. I, th- I, th- I thought he was great as well. Um, and I didn't necessarily think he could play in a two. I think he played in sort of a, a two with um, Caicedo at the weekend. And um, a lot of this has to do with what Welbeck's willing to do with and without the ball. And I think it's a real testament to kind of um, not only like his quality, but his durability, because that's been the issue. Last couple of years mm. at Arsenal, at Watford, like that's been the problem. You just can't rely on him to play 30 games. And now all of a sudden he looks like, he looks 25 again, actually. Well, this is the, the first uh, full pre-season he's had in, in, in yeah. ages, apparently, he's, he said in the BBC interview. And of course, also recently signed a new contract with Brighton until 2024. Facts that I know off the top of my head. Thanks, Steve. Anyway, uh, thank you, Seb. We were talking before, John, about uh, how uh, Graham Potter is a good manager. And that led us to a conversation about the quality of coaching in the league generally, as opposed to five or ten years ago. I had a look at the list the other day uh, to see how old some managers were. I was surprised to to see that Arteta was was the youngest. I thought it was someone else. Um, But in doing that, I looked at the list and short of a few names that we don't necessarily need to mention... It's unbelievable. Like the quality of coaching, the level of coaching, there are very few teams where you couldn't say that coach is an excellent coach in comparison to 10 years ago. Mm. Yeah, I mean, even take, for example, the promoted sides like Marco Silva coaching Fulham previously has been the Everton manager, was happy to take that job down in the championship and and get them promoted. Mm -hmm. That's an incredible level of of promotion coach candidate. Um, So yeah, just top to bottom, like, you have to be a good coach now. You cannot get away with it in the way that you used to in the past. I think relative uh, new additions as well, not not just this year, but in the last few years. Obviously, we've talked about Graham Potter already. Thomas Frank has, has, uh, has been amazing. Ralph Hasenhutl still sometimes is a little confusing. I think, you know, I saw you tweeting about that over the weekend. Perhaps we can talk about that another time. Patrick Vieira has been really exciting so far. Anyway, we thought we'd have a look at the list from 10 years ago just to see the difference and play a little guessing game. Seb, I think you'll probably be quite good at this guessing game. Because you're so old, Seb. Because of your age and memory. That was very unkind. You've been been on holiday for two weeks and you come back with that. John said the age thing. I just followed it up. You said it with a massive smile. That's not the same. John John was up front and direct about it. You, You were snide, I felt. That's Seb all. and I know where we stand with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Just, go away for two weeks and all these, night, new, uh, all these new forces sort of, yeah, they, they join together, don't they? We've I don't unionized, like it. I'm afraid. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm back to bust this shit up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Seb, can yeah. you can you hear me okay? I can, uh, yes. can you um Can you tell me who was the Fulham manager in 2012-13? Uh, Long pauses of silence. Excellent Martin. for podcasts. Martin Yo. It was Martin Yo. Look at him go. That was excellent, wasn't it? Okay, Amatai. You ready for me? Yeah, go. Here we go. Who what this is too easy. Who was the Sunderland manager in 2012-13? Oh, 2012-13. Oh, that's actually I don't know why I'm finding that so That's difficult. sneaky difficult, actually. Uh, it is how sneaky old, difficult. How old were you in 2012? Uh, I was in my third year of uni. So okay. I wasn't young. He was seven uh, no years old. Then. It's not very it smart, this it guy. It wasn't Steve Bruce, was it? It wasn't Steve Bruce. It was Paolo Di Canio. Uh, well, I thought, yeah, he did come in. Bit Who sneaky. started the season? I don't know. It's not on the list, Amatai. Not important. Who was the <laughs> Swansea City manager? John it's McKenzie. Not, it's not Gary Monk, is it? Actually, this is quite a bad one to pick because, uh, it, well, it was it was Michael Laudrup. 
Oh. You know, who, uh, again, uh, the arguments about whether he was a What's good he coach doing or not. These days, I don't know not what he's doing these days. I wish I hadn't started this game. Who was the <laughs> Liverpool manager? Brendan Rodgers. Oh, yeah. I'm just picking good, good managers. This, is, this wasn't the point I was trying to illustrate. <laughs> the point I was trying to illustrate without sort of picking anyone specifically. There's names here, like an Aston Villa manager was, was Paul Lambert. Yeah? There was Brian Kidd was the caretaker at Manchester City. That feels a very long time ago. And, uh, of course, uh, Sir Alex Ferguson. Who the hell's that? I don't know who that is. Steve Clark. This one's gone down the toilet, hasn't it? A I feel, bit, I feel this, like this, this segment. everyone's actually turned out to be okay. Yeah. Like, like Steve Clark's having the Clark I think I think if is you went the, back... The Clarkessons. The Clarkessons, oh. yeah. I was going to go for that and then thought... <laughs> it's I a should. great board game, isn't it, Clarkessons? But they like, they like him, don't they? In, Do they? In Scotland, yeah. Where does he manage? He's Scotland He's manager, the Scotland manager. Yeah. yeah, they like him They just him failed to get the World Cup. Yeah, close, oh. to be fair. After a disappointing performance. Sam Allardyce. Oh. What about yeah, this he... one? Here we've got, I mean, do you remember Nigel Adkins? He was the Reading manager here, but I always remember him bringing, getting Southampton like back-to-back promotions and then getting fired. I think, yeah. so who are the top six managers? Uh, That's the interesting one. The top six managers. So Chelsea is Rafa Benitez. Arsenal is Arsene Wenger. Of course, Man United is, uh, is Sir Alex Ferguson. Manchester City, as I mentioned, was caretaker Brian Kidd. Who else have we got? Where's Tottenham... Andrea Villas Boas. Okay. And who's the other team in the top six? Uh, Liverpool is Brendan Rodgers. Did I already say that? But yeah, then if you go through the top six today, it's what? Pep Guardiola, Antonio Conte. Well, if we look today, we see uh, the, the, the two managers that, the managers that have been in the league for the longest by, by far. In fact, they, they are double the tenure of the person in third. Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola have both been there for six years. We've got Thomas Frank at Brentford for three years. Harsen Hootle, Brendan Rodgers, Graham Potter, Mikel Arteta, David Moyes, Thomas Tuchel, Marco Silva. I mean, it's it's very good, isn't it? It, it started with, um, I feel like it started the year that Guardiola and Mourinho ended up in the Premier League. And right. it's sort mm. of gone from there because that Conte was still at Chelsea that season, I yeah. think. And like every club just had like, well, every big club yeah. had like an elite level manager and it was the first time that was the, the case in the Premier League and now it feels like the smaller teams yeah. in the league all we've have, squeezed out like, the dinosaurs know. haven't we they've got like the, 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 Tony the carousel Poulos and the, yeah. yeah although Tony Pulis was good at what he did I suppose Tony, Tony Pulis served a, a mighty purpose he did yeah but yeah you sort of uh, Mark Hughes's etc sure Alan Pardews well, they've Mark Nigel Hughes, Pearson's Mark Hughes managing in league two these days is just weird yeah well, who's he managing Bradford, Bradford. He's he's Bradford manager. Yeah. Wow. How the mighty have fallen. Does he like it there? Yeah, loves it. He loves it. Mm. <laughs> I've always liked Bradford, to be <laughs> fair. You know. I was born in Bradford, you know. Where are you? Mm. BRI. BRI. Bradford Royal Infirmary. Oh, I just yeah. think of uh, Brighton when you say BRI. Yeah, I was thinking you're doing like a postcode thing, and I was thinking yeah. that's definitely not the postcode for Bradford. <laughs> BRI for 17. <laughs> what postcode were you born in, Amatai? Uh, I'm going to say LS1. What, where's that? Uh, Leeds. Lee, oh, LS1. Leeds, of course. Right in the middle. I'm, I'm assuming. Right in the middle I'm, of I Leeds. I actually don't know what the postcode is for the uh, You don't know the postcode for a hospital you were at Calls once. himself a newsman. Oh, oh well. Never mind. Hankles, where were you born? Uh, whips Cross. Whips Same Cross. David Beckham. Ah, yes. He's just someone who whips crosses. A stone's throw <laughs> from Lake Orient there. Very much. Yeah, but uh, hey, there we go. That was fun, wasn't it? A trip down memory lane. What about Seb? Where was Seb born? Well, Seb was born, I think, in the bowels of Eton, where they, uh, <laughs> they, he wasn't born, but he was created. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. And look at him now, a fine gentleman in this establishment. Well done, Seb. We're all very proud of you. <laughs> Liverpool 9, nil Bournemouth. <laughs>
Good lord. Seb, what on earth happened there very briefly? Liverpool were really, really, really good. I mean, ordinarily you would say uh, it's six of one um, and half a dozen of the other. Actually, I don't know of much else Bournemouth could that. have done. I think also like Bournemouth had the misfortune of playing them immediately after the Manchester United game, which was ugly and which had people saying for a couple of days, uh, Liverpool finished, Liverpool cycles over, Jurgen Klopp mm. is reaching. I mean, one of the topics from last week was actually, is this Jurgen Klopp's Borussia Dortmund season at Liverpool, which is a little bit jumped the gunny. But at the same time, um, you know, they have been bad. They, they kind of struggled through the season. They've laboured through it. And this was the response to it. They look very much like a team who'd spent the last three or four days just sitting inside, digesting all the media coverage following May United. Yeah, the second half had the feel of a team that really didn't want to stop scoring at all. No, but then I suppose it's a novelty when, when form comes back like that. I've got no problem. I've seen a couple of people saying that, you know, once you get to six or seven nil, do you have to score more goals? Is, is the kind of the, the courteous thing to do to, to put the, the cue in the rack, so to speak? No, not really. No. It's professional football. I wanted and 10. Yeah, well, I think that's what happens. Everybody does because that's a, that would be a Premier League landmark, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, will we get 10, Amatai, do you think, at some point? I think at some point we'll get yeah. 10 because if you sort of plot the nine nils, mm. they're getting more frequent, aren't they? Yeah. So surely you're going to get 10 at some point. Oh, I'd love 10. That'll be a fun day, won't it? We nearly had 10 in the Scottish Premier League yesterday. Yeah, Celtic, Celtic were also nine, nine, weren't they? Yeah. Nine nil against who? Dundee United. Dundee, poor old Dundee. That was away as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Ooh. Well, anyway, uh, John, Liverpool's start to the season, we haven't really spoken about it that much. Quite poor, to be honest, prior to them scoring nine goals in one game. They've had a bit of a tricky start. I mean, we would expect them and Manchester City to kind of be out of the blocks immediately. And to a lesser extent, Manchester City have, have you know, looked a little weak in some areas, but have been getting the results in a way that Liverpool haven't. Yeah, Man City, I think, have been good. They've just sort of been the victims of weird variants. So, like, against Palace, there was that weird own goal off John Stones and then they scored a, the Palace scored their second shot on target, which was a header from a corner. And mm. for that whole game, I felt City were in control. It was just a case of when they were going to score. And obviously, they, they got the four in the end. But with Liverpool, it seems, it seems to be a little bit more indicative of, of issues that they've got obviously the big issue is injuries they've got a lot they've got an injury crisis they have spent time developing their midfield I've made a video on IRL recently where we looked at the development of, of Liverpool's midfield under Jurgen Klopp and a big part of that was Thiago obviously and with him not being available that has has hit them they've also had Fabinho out as well uh, and and other players in and out of the frame so and they've they've also got quite a I think an aging midfield right if you look at some of the ages of, of the players that they've got there's there's a few of them that are regulars who are over the age of 30 which isn't ideal they've obviously got players like Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott coming through as well but you you, you don't want to sort of have a massive gap between your your, your starting midfield and then the, the ones coming through so mm. um, I think it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that in terms of recruitment because they, they are talking I think mm. Jurgen Klopp had a, an interview recently where he was like I previously said we weren't going to sign anyone but we are obviously going to sign someone it shows you that I yeah. make mistakes so they're, they're definitely looking at solving that problem through through bringing players in yeah well actually we had a question uh, last week on the podcast from from Navio is uh, Frankie de Jong a good fit for Klopp's Liverpool Amitai you're a newsman uh, mm. have, I mean I don't I'm not really been following the Frankie de Jong possible Liverpool connections but are there any I don't think I don't think we've reported anything right. I don't think I've seen anything along those lines. On the like question of whether he's a good fit, it's in a world before Thiago played for Liverpool, I would have said no. Mm-hmm. But I feel like in in when the midfield is constructed so they can get the best out of a player like that, then yes. Mm. But I don't I don't think there's anything in that. I don't think I've seen anything about that at least. Would you like to see it? 
Well, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it? Sure. It'd it would be... be quite funny given that Man United have spent the entire window chasing him. But that's the that's the weird thing with De Jong is like Barcelona clear I don't know, they, they publicly they don't want to get rid of him. Behind mm. the scenes, it would have been very useful this summer for them to have sold him. Manchester United really wanted him. Chelsea wanted him. It, it is going to be very interesting to see where he like goes mm-hmm. at some point. I don't know if it will be this window now because I think Barcelona are basically in a position where they don't have to sell him. Yes. Um, yes, they've managed to... Uh, they, they they registered uh, uh, Jules Koundé the other day. I'm not quite sure how, so the, <laughs> but the, they did. The, the deal there is that they... I think some members of the club's hierarchy yeah. have provided money in some way that has allowed them to temporarily get under the salary cap. Right. But I don't really know to what degree... I think there was a thing about how La Liga didn't particularly like it. But it's it's okay. They've, it's it's like all right. They've done the right thing. Sure. And they've 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 registered this player. It's all cool. It's all cool. It's all gravy. Yeah. Um. But like they don't. I don't know. This this is not a long term solution to their issue. No. Basically. <laughs> but none of this is. It, Barcelona haven't got any long term solutions. Yeah. Good. Good gracious. They really need to have a good season, don't they? <laughs> I'm just wondering what the Catalonian for it's all gravy is. <laughs> Do you reckon they have a similar one? Do you think a sauce based? Uh, it's all gravy. <laughs> That, that I suspect it's probably not English with a funny <laughs> yeah. accent. Though. Well, you know, <laughs> hamon. Is it hamon? Is that like a... No, that's, we that's can all dream. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, yeah. it's all hamon. My brother recently introduced <laughs> the phrase "it's all Gucci" into my life, and I said, oh, it, I've heard I, had, that. I said it's pr- pretty constantly for twenty-four hours until I was told to stop. Yeah, getting really annoying. <laughs> Do you know, my my wife uh, said to me yesterday uh, she'd been doing some childcare for for nieces and nephews. And she said they're all really into sea shanties, and uh, I knew that because I I am on the internet, you know. And suddenly I felt a gulf between my wife and I. You know, she was very surprised about the sea shanties. I said it was all very last year. The sea shanty, you know, it's reaching the four or five year olds now. Lazy <laughs> meme followers. They didn't even know sea shanties were big during the pandemic. Not now, children. Hey. Uh. Anyway, if it's not De Jong, do you think Jude Bellingham could be that upgrade, John? He seems like a, a top football player. Yeah, and the the, the rumours that I've seen in Germany have been that, that Bellingham is the succession planning that, that Liverpool have been doing. Right. Um, Jurgen Klopp is a, is a fan, apparently. And it, yeah, it makes a, a degree of sense, I think. Um, with, with De Jong, uh, De Jong is quite different, I think, to, to Thiago. For me, Thiago is like a really brilliant like technical passer, tempo controller, which... Was needed for Liverpool, right? They they mm. they came to the Jurgen Klopp came to the league and was playing a, a fairly gegenpressing pressing style. So it was a lot about you know turning the ball over quickly and direct attacks. And during his time, he realised that he needed to do something to slow things down a little bit. And to Thiago is definitely you can see why he might be someone that you can bring in because he's a player who can drop in, pick the ball up. Can can he has la pausa as they say in in Spain. He has the ability to to sort of assess the options, slow the slow the play down, get the tempo going. Frankie De Jong is someone who again is he's going to drop in and deep and pick the ball up. But he's I, I would see him as maybe a bit more of a ball carrier. Mm. Um, when he was playing for Ajax, he would drive forward with the ball and then you, you sort of get him on the edge of the box playing maybe through balls on along the floor. Whereas with Thiago, it's, it, for me, it's more sort of like little dinked passes into in behind because Liverpool are coming up against shut defences all the time as well. Mm. Whereas Jude Bellingham, a bit more of a dynamic player, I would say. Mm. Not the sort of player that I would see dropping in to pick the ball up, but um, would maybe fit better on the other side of Liverpool's midfield because they have like a, they tend to have the um, a more aggressive player on the right-hand side. So they've been using Harvey Elliott, they've been using uh, Jordan Henderson as well there, who who is a very, very aggressive off-ball player, but, but also 
can almost join the front three and make a, a, a front four. So they almost look like they're in a four-two-four. I could see Jude Bellingham playing in that that sort of role, but Bellingham I think tends to play on the left. So again, I'm sure there would have to be some sort of what's the word that Jay, Jay uses? Jiggery pokery to mm. in the midfield to just move everything around. But yeah, it would be it'd be fascinating to see. I think Bellingham makes a, a degree of sense because I think he is that kind of dynamic player in a way that that Thiago and and um, De Jong aren't. But then we, as, as Amatai said, like we didn't think that. Thiago Thiago would necessarily work in that midfield, but then he has. Yeah. So yeah, okay. Um, Ham in Catalan is uh, <laughs> per nil, according to uh, Steve Hankel. What's, yeah, what's, what's gravy? What's gravy? Do they have, they have a gravy a equivalent? Really? Well, I don't think no, they eat no. gravy in Catalan. It's too hot, Catalan, isn't it? Yeah. You know. Oh, okay. But anyway, the team that <laughs> scored Catalan per <laughs> nil goals in this game, Catalan, <laughs> <laughs> was Bournemouth. Uh, Seb. Um, a born a Bournemouth, are they? I mean, are they in trouble? Yeah. So I'm still not sure because I think coming up, I think it was fairly clear that they needed to strengthen the team that they came up with. Didn't really have enough experience in the Premier League. It's not exactly stacked full of difference makers, is it? And Scott Scott Parker seems to be quite open about that in every interview as well, right? Yeah, I mean, that's been. I a did kind wonder. Of... Like, I've been watching the Arsenal All or Nothing series recently, and I'm I'm feel more connected with how what a manager says has an impact on players. If you're a player in that squad mm-hmm. and you keep hearing Scott Parker say we're not good enough for the league, effectively, I, I'm not saying he's wrong to to do so or that it's the wrong approach because clearly he needs to. You know, he's maybe maybe pressuring the board into into signing new players. But that might have a bit of an impact on you as a player, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. Also, it's a super difficult position to be in because like, you've hit on the dual role of a, of a head coach in that situation. You've got to make sure that everybody's aware of the, the reality of the situation. Mm. You've also got to balance your squad's morale, make sure that you're not telling integral players that they're a bit shit and they're not up to it because that's not going to end well, is it? Yeah. I remember speaking to Ahmed, our, um, our Bournemouth writer at The Athletic, earlier in the summer around sensible transfers time. And he was adamant that the squad needed significant investment and in defense there are issues around goalkeeper um goals could potentially become a bit of a problem um i'm paraphrasing what ahmed said it was a couple of months ago now this is being proven the difficulty is though that what do you do in this situation because it's very difficult having if you're a player and you've seen the opening few weeks of the premier league and someone says to you hey come and join bournemouth so let's say you're you're an existing premier league player you think no, I'm not getting on that ship because it's already sinking, which means you either go to another target, give somebody a step up from the Football League, or you pay that player a huge amount of money and increase your liability going forward. So recruiting is difficult. It's not just a question of going, right, well, we need that player, that player, that player, that player. And if you're on the, it's today, it's 29th of August, podcast releasing on the 30th, transfer window shuts in 48 hours. If you haven't got these players in now, that's concerning. Because mm. what are you doing in that last 48 hours? Surely that's the point at which you start to to make your desperate moves and when you start to, to, to kind of create situations which you don't really want to see in the kind of cold light of relegation, like financial liabilities and release clauses, that kind of jazz. Not a happy time. So I don't know. I, I, I feel like they've come up with a, a sort of Norwich-like attitude. You know, kind of a cheerful, well, we're back here, we're going to do our best and we're going to see what happens, but we're not going to... We're not going to do what Forrest have done, which is yeah. to not fireproof because I, I still think, you know, they, you know, they've got some way to go, but they've invested very heavily in a lot of really good players who have dramatically increased their chances of surviving. Bournemouth has gone yeah. down a different road and yeah, it doesn't look great at the moment. 
Forrest have signed enough players for both clubs, haven't they, I think. So, but yeah. Forrest have signed good players. Like, I feel like one of the things that's been lost in this Forrest conversation is that a lot of the players they've signed are really, really good. Like they reduce it to sensible conversations, Seb. I want to enjoy making fun of a football team that signs 20 well, players in one summer. Is that ever sensible? This isn't on the plan. This isn't on the Hankles plan. I can see Hankles' eyes are boring into twitching. the side of my head. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's uncomfortable. He wants me to go to a break. He's written a shit joke about Catalonia, which I'm ignoring, and I'm moving straight on to a break. Mark Chapman and we finally reached the closing week of the summer transfer window. Premier League clubs have spent more than their German, Italian, Spanish and French counterparts combined and they are not done yet. Don't miss any of the twists and turns with myself, David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and many more on the Athletic Football Podcast this week as we take you inside the deals that really matter. We're free to listen wherever you get your podcasts and we're ad-free on the Athletic app. What a wonderful break that was. I had a lovely... This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Lovely. Did you enjoy that break, Amatai? That's amazing. That's I, good. I, I Enough enjoy, from you. Now, Manchester City <laughs> 4 to Crystal Palace. Hot diggity dog. Holland, hey? What do you think? Oh, he's great, isn't he? I, I always think... Yeah. Have you ever seen... Have you ever seen him? Um, I mean, you probably have seen... You know the Looney Tunes, the cartoons? No, I've never heard of that. <laughs> what is that? You've never heard of Looney Tunes? Oh, no. Of course not. <laughs> anyway, they've got, there's, a, there's a giant red monster... In Looney Tunes, who always reminds me of Erling Haaland. I don't know why, but um, which one? The the one who's yeah, covered in red hair, the Tasmanian Devil. No, 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 not Taz. <laughs> not Taz. He's 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 in like a couple of episodes. He chases Bugs Bunny around at well, one point. I feel like on other podcasts they wouldn't take a massive pause to find out who that is. But here, Looney Tunes, Looney Tunes red, red monster. monster. Oh, Red Monster comes up pretty yeah. quickly. Gossamer. Gossamer. Yeah, well, he's not like well known, but like no. he's in a couple of episodes. <laughs> he's and, one of the minor characters it, in Looney Tunes. It, it, it always, Harland always reminds me of this guy for some reason. He just <laughs> yeah. like looks What's the same. reason? Because I can't see that at all. Because Harland's like this weird sort of like monster who plays. He, play, he plays up front, runs around, and for some reason, he can, like, ghost between defenders. That was the thing that struck me right. on, on the game yeah. at the weekend. Like, how is it possible that this guy, who is the most giant striker in the mm. Premier League, can find space yeah. between a centre-back and a right-back yeah. and then score? And it's as if no one has even spotted that he's there. Can I say, oh, that that's the third goal, I think, when he runs in, he has the pass through. The way that he, his body doesn't move at all, his trajectory doesn't change when a massive centre-back clatters into his back. It's 
it's the best example I've seen from him so far of how much power he has, John. Yeah, it's it's disgusting. That In goal. some ways, he's a lot like the red monster <laughs> Gossamer yeah. from Looney Tunes. Would I'm you so agree so. with that? I'd, actually, the, the an analogy I would go with is, you, you know, in the Harry Potter films, when Professor Lupin, I believe is his name. Now we're talking. A, he becomes a werewolf. Yes, right? he does. And that when he runs as Remus a werewolf. Remus Lupin. Yeah, yes. him. Yes. Remus being the Latin word for wolf, as, of we, course. as we all know. Well, very um, literal books. <laughs> um, that's not even true. It's Lupus, I think. What's Remus? Oh, he's it's like a, Romulus, Romulus and Remus, who, who, of course, sure. were raised were, by a wolf. Yeah. yeah, and they are on the Roma badge, so it's got a footballing connection. Right. Anyway, uh-huh. when he when he runs, basically, as the werewolf, it's like Erling yes. Haaland running. Sort but, of leaning forwards, yeah, like a freight train. a little bit, which is maybe why Gossamer, because mm. like, here, look, he's a little bit like... He does do a bit of stooping, doesn't he? Where he brings his hands up either side of his head. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, that goal, unbelievable, because the yeah. ball is played into his feet. He has no right to get a shot off there no. because he's being marked. And yet he holds off one player, evades the other, and yeah. even the shot itself seems ridiculous it to me does. because he doesn't seem to have any backlift whatsoever. Everything is perfect. It, I think, like, I mean, it's not, it wouldn't be necessarily nominated for a goal of the season contender, but like so far... But no one else could score that goal. No one else in the world could score that goal. So good. So good. Anyway, do uh, Manchester City have an aerial defensive frailty, Seb? I bet you weren't expecting me to ask you that. No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, in, in a way this is kind of a Man City problem and it's always treated as such during the year because they're used to dominating possession. Their defence is built to uh, facilitate like their dominance of possession. And there's always, anytime they concede a goal from a set piece, anytime they concede a scruffy looking goal or basically the goal that John Stones put through his own net, that kind of yeah. goal, it's always a kind of, oh, oh, hang on, there's a weakness, there's a weakness. No, it, it doesn't really describe a weakness. It's just an inevitability of the, the kind of football they play. It's the trade-off that they accept. Sure. Um, so could they import a trio of six foot five monoliths to play at centre back? Yes, but mm. what do they lose as a result of that? Um, so it's just it's something that Pep Guardiola is not going to go scrambling into the into the transfer market to cure anything on the back of what happened on Saturday. That's the point. Sure, sure. Palace scored two goals from their yeah. one shot on target at, by the twentieth minute or something. Like yes. it's just it's just variance. It's just unlucky. It's, it's not something you happens. respond to. It's yeah. just a well done it's Palace because Palace played pretty well and they might have had a third goal. I still don't quite know why that was ruled out because it was um, seen a couple of people saying that actually, um, you know, it's always been the case that if you try and block a throw out, it's a free kick. Well, that's not really true. If you try and block a, a, a punt, yes. But remember the Karen Benzema goal from the Champions League final against Liverpool or Norris Karras? It's exactly the same. But um, I'm sure there's an explanation for it. I just haven't heard it. So mm-hmm. uh, City were quite lucky not to be three down at one point and Palace played really okay. well. Steve, Steve Hankey, you've written something here in the plan, haven't you? Do you want to read that out This yourself? is good. I think this is good, and yeah, I don't I think, think you should bully. That's, that's why I'm allowing it. Steve to read it out himself <laughs> instead of butchering it myself. So we were talking about Rome a second ago, and obviously the founding, the founding story of Rome is that Romulus and Remus, mm. raised, raised by wolves, fought each other. Romulus killed Remus, therefore named the city after him Rome. So therefore, had Remus beaten Romulus, then logically the city would have been called Reem. I think that's true. Yeah, 100% Good true. Joke. Mm. I wish Joe made jokes like that. Is that a joke? <laughs> a wry observation. <laughs> Lovely observation. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> and I believe uh, there's a French football team called Ream, isn't there? <laughs> so, you know, there's our link back in. Arsenal 2, uh, 1 Fulham, John. Late goal from Gabriel, of course, after he was perhaps at fault for the... Uh, 
Perhaps. For the one at the other end. Perhaps (laughs) at fault. Arsenal, the the thing I want to ask you about with Arsenal here is, um, and as I said a moment ago, my wife and I have just finished watching Arsenal All or Nothing. She loved it, by the way. Obsessed. She even tried to watch some Arsenal with me at the weekend. A little, you know, when she realised that a football game wasn't too highlights of when the goals were I think she lost interest a little bit but then when we did match of the day there was some more interest there anyway I'm making her sound like an idiot from the 50s not not really true I'm worried she's going to listen to this and I'm going to get in trouble she probably isn't going to listen I don't think she's ever listened before but what if she listens now because she's interested in the football now I take it all back I didn't mean any of it anyway we've been watching (laughs) Arsenal all or nothing and it was very it's a very interesting time to be watching that now because of the success obviously they're the only unbeaten team so far you could see elements of their of the progression throughout throughout last season they feel now like quite a force there are some detractors that say they've only beaten easy teams probably not that fair yeah i mean a lot of the the comments on the video that i made at the weekend um about arsenal being top of the table after four were from disgruntled spurs fans who were adamant that you yeah. know any team would beat all of the teams that they've played so far. So Seb Palace. on 150 burner accounts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you've got to admire his... his Tenacity. His, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of not the point. Like, you would expect Arsenal to win each of those games, but would you expect Arsenal to win all four of those games? Mm-mm. Suddenly you're, you're entering the realm of, like, lumping up the pro- probability, making it lower and lower and lower, right? So I think what's been so impressive for me about Arsenal is that they clearly have just way more flexibility in terms of what they can do from a tactical point of view. And that gives them the ability to respond to different opponents in different ways. And a lot of it came for, for me through their build-up structure. So they've had a number of different build-up structures. We know that Arsenal are going to try and play possession football. Uh, in the past season, they played fairly bog standard possession football I thought they were pretty right side heavy they had all of their good players over there so they had Mm. Erdogan and they had Saka over there and uh, they had Cedric Suarez who's not not quite so interesting a fullback as as perhaps they have on the other side and he would swing crosses into the box they would they would do a lot of build up over on the right and they would yeah they would try and isolate Martinelli on the other side try and get him into space get him 1v1 versus fullbacks so you you just sort of do build up on one side try and generate a goal if you can't do that play it to the other side uh, and, and then hope Martinelli can do something 1v1 against a fullback and it just Mm. became a bit too predictable I think Mm. Um, and so by the end of last season we started seeing Arsenal doing a few more interesting things so we saw an inverted fullbacks a little bit more on the other side Um, but this season we've just seen they've got the system now and the structure and perhaps most importantly the players to be way more flexible And, and why that gives you um, the benefit is that you can you can attack in different ways. You can sometimes do the stuff they were doing last season if you think a team is going to be susceptible to it. But they can also do a lot more left-sided stuff. So if you think that the opposition is left, well, the right side of their defence, as your left as you're facing as Arsenal, if they're weak, then do your build-up through that that phase as well and they've been mm. inverting their fullbacks so they can make the the pitch very very narrow and build up and that creates space in the wide areas that can help you progress the ball in wide areas so just lots of different things every single game that they played so far and we were able to show viz from mark Carey that showed that each game they've attacked and they focused their attack in different areas or, yeah. or down both sides and that sort of flexibility i think has lasting effects on on your results and, and yeah. i think that's that's part of the reason why arsenal are winning these games that maybe last season they wouldn't have, have won. Well, as you say, I mean, this is the first time since the 2004-05 season that Arsenal have won their, their first four games in the league. It's also, I can't remember the statistic, but it was the first time for a while that they've come back from being one goal down to win. Amatai, as a, as a Leeds fan, as a general Premier League fan, do you look at Arsenal and is your instinct to sort of think, oh, they'll fuck up at some point? 
It's, it's good that you refer to me as a general Premier League fan because sure. I think that's a fairly good summary of a. I like being a general Premier <laughs> yeah. League fan. It's a nice, nice yeah, term. It's, I like uh, it too. God, I don't know. It's it's hard to say on that one because they do, they do look genuinely very good. Mm. And like I, I, I was actually thinking about this yesterday. A lot of people ascribe certain characteristics to clubs, and the more and more that like we live in a world where we have this data available to us and you can look at teams on a level that's not the narrative all the time. Yeah. Like people, uh, Arsenal, for example, how often do they actually fuck it up? Yeah. Like, and like, is that a, a, a characteristic of a club that happens to play in North London or did they not have the players to do what they needed to do a season or two ago? Yeah. And therefore, when it got to the crunch point, they lost a game they needed to win, mm-hmm. which is what teams that aren't a top four team do and et cetera, et cetera. I think, I think, uh, I think they'll definitely get top four this season. Would yeah. be my would be my guess. It's just the way they've been playing, the like difference that Jesus and Zinchenko have made to them. I don't think they are anywhere near the level of like a title challenge because that's why they've been able to buy Jesus and Zinchenko is that they're not players that City need this season. Yeah. So like if their two best players are backup players at City, you know, they have to be a cut below but I think they'll be I think I mean okay maybe definitely top four is a bit strong but they should be um, there or thereabouts okay come May well we know that uh, they play Aston Villa next um, but Steve Hankles is letting me know that October very difficult month fixture wise for Arsenal uh, because of course there's the first uh, London derby at the Emirates on the 1st of October and following on from that, there are Europa League games against Bodo Glimt that are either side of a game against Liverpool. There's Leeds, there's Manchester City, there's away at Southampton who've started the season pretty well and Eindhoven, Nottingham Forest. I mean, that's a lot of games. We're going to experience this a little bit more anyway. And in fact, it's probably worth pointing out now, if you're listening to this in the day of release, there are games this evening. <laughs> so we're going to see this kind of truncated season as a result of the World Cup being smash bang in the middle of it. It's a lot of games. Arsenal did did a fair amount of um of uh, what's the word for it um resting players uh, rotation rotation. Thank you. Which is again like perhaps an example of something that maybe we wouldn't necessarily have seen them doing so much last season aside from uh, situations where there are the injuries caused them to do so. So I'm very excited to watch them. I'm I'm delighted for Gabriel Jesus as well to score so many goals and get off to such a good start. I love it. Anyway, let's have a break now. Ah, returning from a break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Delightful, yes. Producer Jamie there and his cubby hole, having a good time. <laughs> Southampton nil, one Manchester United. Uh, Seb, Man United. I think when we, we we obviously last week we didn't talk about the the Liverpool game because that happened on the Monday night after after we'd recorded. But uh, Eric Ten Hag stuck with the same 
uh, big call that he made ahead of that game, which was leaving Harry Maguire and Cristiano Ronaldo on the bench again, appeared to have worked, obviously, in a slightly different way in this game than it did on, on, on Monday against Liverpool, Seb. Yes, did not watch this game, Joe. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. <laughs> John. Uh, I just feel I hadn't been to Seb for a while. I thought I'd, you know, now I realise why Steve Hankel's put John next to this. But I was trying to disobey the the authority, the order here of the, of the events. I, what's and, the question? Know. I've completely lost track. You, were you not listening to me either? No, I was listening deeply, but I was like, oh, oh. I wonder what Seb's going to say without really Yeah, I was wondering what Seb was going to say as well. Uh, John, what I'm asking is uh, Manchester United, Ten Hag took the same uh, approach. He stuck mm. with his big call that worked out on Monday, leaving Ronaldo and Maguire on the bench. It appeared to work in this game in a slightly different way than it worked against uh, Liverpool because Southampton, obviously, a very different sort of mm. opponent, um, but they came through okay. Southampton caused Man United a lot of problems, I'd say. Um, and they did that by going... They had this really nice press off the ball where they went man-for-man. Man. We've seen man-for-man man presses cause problems for Manchester United in a couple of their games so far. So Brighton, they lost to Brighton, they lost to Brentford. Both of those teams were going man-for-man man when Manchester United were trying to build up. Mm. And I think the, the realisation there was it's really risky and aggressive to push your your players man for man when a team are building up because you leave a lot of space in behind. But I think because they realised that if they did it well, the ball would go back to David De Gea and he would just be hitting either channels or centre-backs. And because they've got like two really tall centre-backs, I think they just fancied their chances though. Like if Manchester United can build a ball up against us, they're going to cause more problems than than us just pushing forward and leaving space in behind, despite the fact that Manchester United had beaten Liverpool by playing that way. Yeah, um, And... Harton Huttle got his team to half time nil nil and and Southampton probably looked like the better team in many respects. Mm -hmm. But what Ten Hag did in the second half, he made a few ta tactical tweaks that just helped um, his team to build up. Um, so the, when you're playing against a man-to-man -man press, there's just a couple of things that you do. One of the things is, is that you know that if you move a player, their marking responsibility will follow them. So you can start pulling the structure apart a little mm -hmm. bit. So they did that. Amatai sadly nodding as yeah, a Leeds fan. The, the, <laughs> he knows yeah. all about we, how this happens. We, we've got over this. It's yeah. fine. It's, but, so we can now glory in these sorts of <laughs> issues. Um, but that's that was what happened in the midfield area. So McTominay and... Um, and Ericsson switched sides and it caused a little bit of space, which then allowed the second thing to, to do, which is ball carrying, particularly from centre-backs. Mm. So Varane pushed forward because Aribo wasn't there to, to press him. It meant that Adam Armstrong pulled across and then basically what chain happened Chain reaction. Was, chain reaction, mm. exactly. And um, from that, that moment, obviously it was a great finish by Fernandes, but that was one of the best moments I think we've seen from Manchester United in terms of coach possession play that mm. showed that, that Eric Ten Hag is having a difference. Yes, they weren't great the whole game, but when you have a coach, you can make those sorts of tweaks and you can, he can sort of fashion situations to make it easier for you to score. You're, in, you're into a, onto a winner and that's something that Manchester United haven't had for a while. So. Yeah. And it's like Bruno Fernandes' lovely goal he scored in this game. And yeah. there's been a lot of talk about whether or not he will benefit from Ronaldo not being in the team. I can't work out whether this is a tactical thing or whether it is just a kind of mentality thing. What do you think from watching? It's an interesting question because that was always the conversation about a year and a half ago when, sort of, well, a year ago when Ronaldo first came to Man U because people realised that at Port for Portugal, Fernandez sometimes doesn't get on the pitch because he doesn't work well with mm. Ronaldo, hypothetically. I actually think he, I, I thought he had quite a poor game on Saturday, mm. um, but had the moment. And I think maybe that's the... The thing about Fernandez is he's a moments player. And like one of the things that Man U found when they first brought him in was that by relying on him to get a goal, to get them a point, three points, whatever it might have been, he was really useful. He scored goals, provided assists. Having someone like Ronaldo might stop that 
almost like pipeline of numbers. Yeah. And actually just not having him in the team and being like, you are the guy we're going to rely on to yeah. pop the ball in the top corner. Stop worrying about that guy up front. He's not there anymore. Actually might just be the benefit. He, he didn't play well, mm. but he scored a brilliant goal. And therefore, like, that's exactly what Man you needed from him. So, so in a sense, yeah, just not worrying about this yeah. other person might be to his benefit. As the captain as well. Now, Seb, the other story about Manchester United at the moment is that the fee that uh, reportedly could be paid for, for Anthony from, from Ajax, which, including all the add-ons and everything, I believe equals up to over 100 million euros. It seems like a lot of money to spend on Anthony. It sure does, Joe. Now, we, we've got an RL video coming out on this in the coming few days, which, which John wrote and presented. And I think, like, I'm, I'm a little bit prejudiced towards the Eredivisie because, uh, like everybody else, you always feel like it's a bit of a hit-and-miss league. And you always feel, no, no matter how much you spend and no matter how successful the player's been, you don't know whether you're going to get a, a Christian Eriksen or a, a Davy Klaassen. I think it's natural to feel a little bit nervous about that amount of money. I think yeah. we're also reacting to the way that Manchester United have done business in the past, which is to haggle and haggle and haggle, but end up just paying the asking price. Also, I really like watching Anthony. I think he's fun. I think he's entertaining. I think he's ever so skillful. But two things concern me. First of all, he's very, very slight. Secondly, he's not outstanding and his volume hasn't been outstanding in Holland, which when you pair that with the amount of money that uh, United are going to spend and the expectation that's mm. going to come from it and the kind of atmosphere into which he's going to arrive. That's a that's a really tricky combination of factors. And I don't want to do the lazy thing of just damning it because it's United and they're bad at negotiating and because this happened so many times before. But it feels like a, a manager reaching out for one of his former players, taking what he knows and being charged a premium for it because there aren't any better options available. Fun yeah. player, don't know how good he is, don't know whether he's going to be an outstanding one, that's all. Okay. Now, John, am I right in thinking that you've done all of this research that we're about to discuss? Or was this Steve Hankels? Who's to blame here? <laughs> um, was it you? Maybe me. Did you waste your time on this? I didn't waste time. I, I spent about 15 minutes on this. Listeners, what happened was, you know how in a WhatsApp group uh, people say things and occasionally there's a joke that's made that's really not worth taking any further. <laughs> Somebody made the joke in the WhatsApp group that when I suggested that we contextualise the fee that's being paid for Anthony, that we do so with the unit of Freddo. Now, Freddos, uh, for, for international listeners who may be unaware are very small little frogs made of chocolate that come in a wrapper. And you used to buy them for 10 pence back in the day. Uh, they're more expensive now, Freddo's, of course, because of inflation and the cost of living crisis. Not that, but inflation. Although Freddo's may go up. We haven't heard the latest from the government on that. But Freddo's may, they may also go up as well as... Listen, if electricity's doubling and doubling again, then maybe Freddo's could be a pound by uh, by October 2023. We just don't have the information at the Tifa Football Podcast. But you appear to have worked out, <laughs> not just for the Anthony fee, but Steve also... Out for the oh, fee. you guys so did a combination, yeah. did you? We're in yeah. this together. Yeah. I'll just back out now and you can both um, tell us all about this. I agree with you that maybe using the unit of Freddo's to uh -huh. transcribe... Anthony's fee is not actually that interesting. But for those who are interested, it's about 344 million Freddos for, for 100, 100 euros these days. Um, uh, and that's I, at 25p? That's at 35p. 35p. No, 30p. 35p? 30p. Thirty. I've got the Freddo index in front of me, and I, I can tell you that... <laughs> When Freddos were re-released in the 1990s, they came out at 10p, and then they went up 
in 2007 to 15p and then they went up to 20p in 2011 what's cpi inflation consumer price index oh yeah um tell me about that amateur <laughs> that's the um it's the basket of goods isn't it that the average household buys oh, yes. and it, they, they work out inflation by like how much is butter and this and this yeah. other thing and fredo's also, also and fredo's. the other thing is are you su suggesting that fredo's were re-released in the 90s yeah, well, I, I went on the Wikipedia <laughs> page and they were called Freddy's. Freddy's? First, and in the 90s, they were re-released as Freddo's. Well, do you remember back in the 90s when people used to put O on things because it sounded cool? Yeah, <laughs> Freddo's. Oreos. Cheerios. Before, because Oreos in the 80s were Oreos. No. No, they weren't. Oh, no. There we go. <laughs> they weren't. When did um, Brazilian footballers' names get so boring, by the way? Because as a kid, yeah. I was like, you know, you had Ronaldo. And you had Ronaldinho, and it's yeah. like you read shoot magazine. Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, and then and then it's now it's Fred and Anthony, yeah, and and Everton. It does Just, feel odd <laughs> names that it? your granddad would have, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Anyway, to get back to Freddo's, which is, well, I, I know is what our listeners, and no, dear listeners, I'm going to look at the camera now. I'm going to do a two camera. If you think that this is interesting, do let Joe know in the comments below. But um, what I was then interested in, <laughs> 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 what, what I was then interested in, in was like, which footballer was actually worth the most Freddo's? Well, of that's course kind you'd of be interested in that. And in, yeah. in my estimation, I reckon it's Real Madrid's um, purchase of Zinedine Zidane right. in 2001. Yeah. Uh, which comes in at around, let me just find my notes for this, Joe. Mm. <laughs> comes in at around 658 million Freddos. What do they call it when you when you have to defend your PhD? A Viva or something? Viva, yeah. A Viva, yeah. Viva is, a, I think, the Spanish. Viva La Viva. Yeah, Viva La Viva. That's a Coldplay <laughs> song or something, isn't it? You know, about yeah, Chris yeah. Martin's PhD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, the, yeah. So I think that it's really interesting because we what we see it with really is. Zinedine Zidane is like the peak of the Freddo purchasing power yeah the and, cross section and then it drops between transfer inflation and freddo related sure. inflation and the, the, i think the thing to take away from this is if real yeah. madrid had actually purchased freddo's uh -huh. instead of zinedine zidane yeah. and invested them and then sold them this year they would have made a profit after inflation of about 80 million euros i think if anyone has subscribed to yours and jj's business class <laughs> then they really should be worried about <laughs> the money that they've spent i think to sell De two decade old Freddos. Well, I also you know looked into. Chocolate, I also you? looked into this because mm. apparently you can store chocolate in a way that means that it does. It doesn't. Chocolate doesn't have an expiration date, so feasibly you could actually do this. But then, then I was then this I was the wondering. Mackenzie shaped wormhole. Is this so is, weird. Then I was wondering like how much money would it cost to store Freddos? That amount of Freddos, obviously. Yeah, like, because there's a business opportunity. Eighty million euros. Yeah, probably. Mm. So maybe we would just end up with with a not a huge sure. amount of profit. Also, yeah. can I ask when you did this because they only confirmed the anthony feed last night i did it last night <laughs> <laughs> i was on the co i was on the case as soon as i possibly could yeah well that's you know nottingham forest nil <laughs> to tottenham seb very interesting tottenham flying aren't they eight goals uh, in four games last season's golden boot son he hasn't scored any of them though yeah, I don't know that Tottenham are flying. I think they're, they're unbeaten. I'm just reading what's written down here oh. in front of me. If you've got a problem with what I've said, then take it up with Steve I Hankles. shall take it up with Hankles <laughs> after the podcast. Yeah, no, they, they are they're okay. I don't think they're anything more than that. They were... So, yes, this form feels to me like it's been a little bit misunderstood in the sense that um, I saw this at Aston Villa away last season. When they get an early goal, which they did in this game, they kind of retreat behind the ball and live off their counter-attack. And that's misconstrued as, oh, you're under the caution, under pressure. And actually, mm. if you look at the game and if 
I imagine if you look at the XG, uh, Forest didn't really create an awful lot and Spurs defended pretty well. Um, deep, there are a couple of slightly misjudged moments and a few hacky clearances. But other than that, they played okay and they counterattacked quite nicely. What I say is that it's a little bit profligate up front. Son, as you mentioned, not in form. And I think there's a conversation to be had about sort of just taking him out of the team for a couple of weeks. He looks like a very, very tired footballer. But mm. also the midfield, not quite working. It's not quite balanced enough. Hoiberg's playing quite well. Benton is playing quite well. The combination isn't quite right sometimes. And I think there's a case to be made for Yves Basuma coming in at some point. But it's, They're a bit samey at times, aren't they? It does feel like that. They've, especially when they're in that mode, when they're in the kind of the drop deep and counter mm. uh, mindset. It looks like their patterns are very, very similar. And also, if you if you look back at some of the counters they had in the second half, they became quite easy to defend. So they have their pattern. They usually have one ball carrier, two splitting either side, and maybe a, a centre forward, usually Kane, possibly Kuliseski or Son, breaking ahead. And Forrest knew how to defend that. Uh, and there are a few mm. times when they kind of forced a bad decision or forced a mistime run. And so sometimes you have to, to rethink the mechanic. But they're unbeaten. And as with Arsenal, I, I think like anybody sort of uh, denying that Arsenal have been really, really impressive, I, I think that's wrong because I, th- I think you can see the kind of mem- uh, momentum they're able to build within games and the kind of the the strength and variation within their attacking possessions. It's super impressive. And Spurs haven't hit that gear yet. Um, the table mm. may say that good start, and it is. But um, work to be done, I think. Definitely. I always enjoy when a team isn't playing hugely well, but still winning points. I think that's it's very satisfying. Very I, th- I think yeah. um, I think the story yesterday was really. For- I think Forest did play very, very well, and yep. we we yep. talked about right at the beginning about okay, so they spent a lot of money and they brought in a very, very large number of players, unprecedented um, uh, incoming transfer activity for a Premier League side. However, a lot of the players they brought are really, really good. So yesterday. Mm. A newly promoted team was able to bring off, bring Remy Fuller um, and Emmanuel Dennis off the bench, which is, I mean, it's quite a nice, um, even especially in this sort of age of five substitutions, pretty nice utility to have and a nice injection of quality. Dennis didn't play super well, but Freuler is a very experienced player. Like they've been able to bring Morgan Gibbs White to the club, who looks excellent, had a really good game yesterday. Yeah. Um, yep. Jesse Lingard has played ever so well for most of the season, was very, very good for an hour. Faded a little bit, but he was very good for an hour. Um, so it was a good game. It was interesting, but seemingly the only thing that is being talked about now is the Richarlison incident, which is weird. The kick-ups. It's just not something to get upset about. It's very, very strange. It's, it's kind of like a lot of old ex-professionals talking about, oh, in my day, you know, we used to kick six shades of shit out of each other and that was fine, you know, because <laughs> I respected my yeah. opponent by shortening his career. Like, just... <laughs> like I, I mean, like... It all sounds great, doesn't it? But if you're going to pitch yourself as a kind of guardian of the game, perhaps get as exercised about things that matter. You know, sure. like get upset about, I don't know, bad ownership or sports washing or... Well, indeed, can I, can I say on that, on that note, one of the things I took from the Arsenal All or Nothing uh, series was apart from uh, Arteta's kind of like increasingly madcap ways to motivate a team by holding light bulbs and such and drawing strange pictures. One of the things I noticed that I really liked that I'd never really thought about before was how every time a player made a mistake or there were a couple of episodes where a player got a red card, Arteta fired the teammates up by saying, let's go out and do it for that player. Instead of sort of, your assumption would be that the rest of the team Mm. would be annoyed with the player because now they have a harder extra 45 minutes or they're more likely to lose. But the idea of being motivated around hope rather than around anger, 
I think is nice. So every time I hear an old boy talking about how they used to clatter into each other and you have to do it like a man or whatever, whatever has been said. <laughs> but it's... it's I don't like do, it. Do you think it's quite weird that you've got people who played the game 40 years ago kind of still sort of sure. standing above it, getting annoyed about players having haircuts and yeah. getting annoyed. But, because you don't actually... I know you played the game and at the time you played the game at a very high level. That high level doesn't bear any relation to, to what the game no. is today. Like in terms Get of... Get to Sunday League, yeah. But no, it, it's not that. It's not just like beyond a certain age, you, you should sort of... You should stop being pundit. I don't mean that at all. It's just mm. that I have the kind of humility to recognise the differences, the way that the game has changed and the way that the speed yeah. of the, the football has changed and also the way it's officiated have changed and also that the people playing it and the personalities involved have changed because it is different. And it's there's a striking lack of acknowledgement of that, which is... Disappointing, I think. And the Richarlison thing, Richarlison thing is the tip of the iceberg, but it was it was odd because he didn't seem to humiliate anybody. Um, what was the name of the Brazilian player who sort of ran around the field bouncing on his on his head? Curlon. Like, he did the sort of the Curlon. seal trick. Like, okay, yeah. that okay, that's probably taking the piss and that's probably going a little bit too far. But Richarlison juggled the ball a couple of times and laid it off backwards yeah. as Tottenham were trying to see out time. Kick-ups. It's What's just, the problem? It's like... Everybody can get in the bin, right in the middle of the bin. Also, like... Good Lord, let's not waste any yeah, more time exactly, talking about this. It's, exactly su- right. it's such a nothing issue. Absolutely. Um, Amatai, Dean Henderson. Dean yeah. Henderson. Uh, actually, I'll come to you in a second. Uh, actually, I've made a mistake about all of this. One second. <laughs> Hold on. Yes, Amatai, Tottenham... Tottenham. Tottenham. Not Dean Henderson. Not Dean Henderson. Now get that out of your head. Okay. Think about Tottenham. Okay. You're a newsman. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed anything... <laughs> Tottenham... <laughs> Newsman's so funny. A Tottenham doing anything. See John putting on his glasses like Walter Cronkite. (laughs) (laughs) Are um, are they doing anything else in the in the uh, the the window there, the transfer window that you know of? Dateline, Saigon. (laughs) I don't, I don't, I don't don't think we've uh, we've particularly heard that. doing anything i think i think like any club they will like do something if something mm. comes up but i don't think yeah. they're particularly pursuing anyone fine will you keep your ear to the <laughs> ground john dean henderson yeah and it is right this time dean henderson uh obviously we knew this was going to happen at the beginning of the season when manchester united let dean henderson go on loan and de gea of course ha- has his has his foibles every time dean henderson makes a good save Sorry. You said foibles in a really sort of New York accent then, didn't you? Foibles. <laughs> Every time Dean Henderson makes a good save, of which he's made many, let's let's be clear, including penalty. including yeah, a couple of penalties as well. It was inevitable that people were gonna say, Oh, Manchester United made a mistake and 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 in letting him go. Um but you know, based on what we know about about De Gea's limitations in an Eric Tanhard team, it's not my understanding that Dean Henderson really solves any of those problems. He's he's not a super proactive goalkeeper with his feet. Yeah, I mean, Nottingham Forest and Manchester United are very different teams, right? Sure. Um, so what Nottingham Forest need isn't necessarily a great ball-playing goalkeeper. They are, are going to be expected to have a lot of shots conceded, so they're going to need a decent shot stopper, and that's what mm. Dean Henderson is. Like, incredible. Both the penalty saves really good. Uh, kept them in the game in the game that they won against whoever it was that they won, who I've forgotten about now. Yeah. Did they beat? Who, who, West Ham. Well, I wasn't listening to you. West Ham. West Ham, yeah. yeah. He kept them in that game and had he not been playing, they wouldn't have won that game. Right, it's brilliant. Um, but that's very different from what Manchester United need. They're not going to be having... And this is the thing, right? David De Gea was impressive when Manchester United had managers who were sitting deep, 
absorbing pressure and then trying to hit on the counter-attack yeah. because you know that one of the byproducts of that is that you concede a lot of sh- well, more shots than you do if you're trying to control the game and sure. that's not where Manchester United are now so yeah Manchester United need a ball-playing goalkeeper and I don't think either De Gea and, and Henderson are at that level. Well, Amitai, as a newsman, um, have <laughs> you known have you known of any uh, attempts from Manchester United to, to to get a goalkeeper? They're in the hunt for a number two, aren't they? Mm. Which is so there was a challenging number two. Mm, I don't know if that's the case. No? It's, it's been Dubravka, who is good mm-hmm. but not world class. Sure, and they've made moves for. Begovic. Yeah, oh. And uh, Begovic Tra- from 2014 f- fantasy football fame. <laughs> and <laughs> scored a goal or something. Yeah. yeah. And trap. Yes. Uh, and so it's like it's it's I think I think it's more the realization that maybe Tom Heaton shouldn't be playing if it comes down mm. to it. Um which is feels a bit unfair because he was quite good, but also if this is what Ten Hag has decided, I, I, I basically think it's more of a case of having a player in there in the event that David Hay gets suspended or injured. But yeah, um, yeah. I feel like the, the we, we reported a few months ago that the keeper they like a lot is Melia at Leeds, which mm-hmm. I think is the case for actually the majority of top sides in the Premier League. So it's not going to be as simple as him going there. Mm. Um, and that would probably be like a sensible one to look at in a year or two. But sure. yeah, they're not. I find that weird though, because like for me, Melier, again, a brilliant shot stopper, but like we've seen him be pretty fragile with his feet at times especially last season right under mm. Bielsa but isn't the thing isn't the thing with goalkeepers with their feet I mean I might be wrong in saying this but like Lloris I feel is like the sort of example sweeper keeper but maybe more sweeping up than actually being good actually, with feet. Yeah. is there any is any keeper actually genuinely good with their feet oh it's interesting because I spoke to a couple of goalkeeper yeah. experts about this because I don't know anything about goalkeeping really and and I was asking like what do you think that the level of ball playing ability for goalkeepers in the Premier League is mm. and they were saying the average in the Premier League is probably lower than outside of the Premier League which struck me as being very odd given that the Premier League is like one of the most technical leagues in the world we have some of the best like teams in terms of possession play in the world as well but they were they were arguing that if you actually take the average including I guess second and third keepers actually the Premier League doesn't have a huge amount of ball playing um, goalkeepers mm. and, and there are quite a few of them out on the continent at the moment okay okay well, to the continent, perhaps we can uh, can look and look and search. I don't know why we would do that. It was my mother's birthday yesterday. Oh, happy birthday, Joe's happy mom. birthday, mother! Happy birthday, Joe's yes. mum. Do you want to hear something very embarrassing? Always. You forgot. I didn't forget. No, yeah. but I uh, I uh, called mother yesterday and said, "Hello, happy birthday, mother!" You know, and uh, she said, uh, "Happy having a good day." I said, "I've got you a gift, mother." It's tickets to Swan Lake, a performance of Ooh. Swan Lake, the ballet, at a big, a big theatre nearby. And she said, are you making a joke? And I said, no, why? And she said, is it on the 4th of November? I said, yes. And she said, you bought me those last year, and it was delayed because of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, now she has four tickets. <laughs> I very nearly <laughs> bought her tickets to the Nutcracker the night before, which would have been even worse. Because like, <laughs> you've got to go twice in a row to a big theatre near you to see the Nutcracker and then Swan Lake. But it's fine. She's going to take my granddad. So, you know, and presumably two other people. So basically you spent twice the amount of money than... Yeah, COVID, COVID delayed the last one, you know. But um, it seems fine. It was, you know, it's funny. So there's that. 
but it's not a good sign for my long-term memory. <laughs> it's really not. It's really not. Anyway, Steve Hankel, so are we done? Yeah, I think we're done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fine. Well, thanks for your uh, for your patience and discerning aggression and uh, authority today. You really put us in our place and told us what to do. Not really. Uh, John McKenzie, dog. Good boy. Thanks, man. Well done. That's no, that was too rude. <laughs> I did. It came out worse than I intended it to. Good boy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, master. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I feel as though this is a hole of your own digging. So. Ah, or Fiedersen, Sebastian Stafford Bloor. Have a guten day. Yes. Bis gleich, Herr Devine. Bis gleich. Yeah. See you later. And see you later. Okay, good to know. And the newsman. He can head back to the news desk. And uh, hopefully there's plenty of good news today. Amatai Winehouse, thanks for your appearance. Uh, we love Amatai. We love having Amatai on, oh, yeah. don't we? Yeah. Cheers for having me, Jim. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's becoming Jim, a is it, Am I addressing that to you? Are you the person who... Am, am I the person who's speaking now? No, who decides. Who when decides? I say thank you for having me on, am I... Oh, sure. I don't really know. I kind of, on a day-to-day basis, it changes. <laughs> but, you know, it's a collective willing for you to be here. And if anything, it's the audience that decided. Thank you, audience. <laughs> Anyway, to the audience, thank you, and producer Jamie and his cubbyhole. We've all had a lovely day. But enjoy yourself, and uh, enjoy the games uh, Tuesday, Wednesday night, deadline day. Of course, we'll be back next week with, uh, with more. Until then, uh, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>as you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.